All right, let's uh, come back, get started. You should have some notes. Uh, Larry's over there, and uh, that's it there. So if you, need a, if you need some notes, raise your hand up right here. You want to get a copy of these because these are going up on eBay, and I know they're going to be worth a lot of money one day. <laughs> But you'll be able to say, I was there when Bill Combs gave this, you know, and that, you know. We're continuing uh, from last week, just got started on this topic of the Old Testament law and the New Testament Christian. And last week we got started by looking at how you and I as believers relate to the Mosaic law. We want to know if the law applies to us, that is, do we have to keep any of the commandments? Remember, the rabbis say there's 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. Do we have to keep any of those or not? We began last week, I say here, by defining what the Bible means by the term law. I said that the word law is used in the Bible. It can have several different meanings. It can refer to a principle like the law of gravity. Uh, a couple of times by Paul, several times. Law can refer to scripture. Uh, just the, It can refer to the Pentateuch, the first five books, or it can refer to the entire Old Testament. But most of the time, the law refers to the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic legal system that governed the religious and political life of Israel. However, on a couple occasions, the word law refers to what Paul calls the law of Christ. So we're looking at the left side of that chart, divine law, either in its mosaic form, that's most every use in the New Testament, or in a couple of cases, the New Testament form, the law of Christ, which we'll come to. B here, we noticed first that the mosaic law was given exclusively to Israel and to no other people on the face of the earth. So if you're, you know, if you're not an Israelite, uh, the law was not given to you. Leviticus 26, 46 says, these are the decrees, the laws, and the regulations the Lord established in Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites. Psalm 147, he has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. So the Mosaic Law was a complete body of statutes designed by God to regulate the personal, moral, judicial, political affairs of a nation state. The law was given to Israel for a limited time and purpose. So these 613 commands only function for a people living at a particular time in history in a particular geographical location. God never intended for the Mosaic Law to be enforced forever. In fact, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, he talks about a new covenant to replace the Mosaic Covenant. It's impossible even for anyone to keep all 613 commands. Even Jews can't do it, we said, because a lot of the commands require going to the temple. There's no temple to go to. Roman numeral two, the Mosaic law cannot be divided up. Since it's universally understood that it's impossible to keep most of the 613 commands, no one attempts to make the entire Mosaic Law applicable to Christians, believers today. I say those who say that at least some parts of the Mosaic Law must be obeyed in our day 
believe that the law can rightly be separated into three distinct divisions moral civil and ceremonial for instance the Westminster Confession the Westminster Confession is a confession a 17th century confession of faith it says besides this law commonly called moral God was pleased to give the people of Israel ceremonial laws to them also he gave as a body politic he gave some judicial laws so then the Westminster says that there are you can look at the law and see these three sections well, why does the Westminster Confession do that why do you need to divide the Mosaic law into different parts the reason of course is you want to exempt believers from having to keep some parts of it if we can just say okay this part this part okay we'll cancel out this part or this part and just keep this part but remember the, the, the heading that I started with here the Mosaic law cannot be divided up in actuality it's generally agreed that thematically yeah true as far as subject matter the law does in fact seem to be capable of being broadly viewed in a three-part scheme but I will demonstrate shortly that these divisions overlap there's no neat break between moral judicial and ceremonial they overlap nevertheless generally that's true that you can see a kind of a rough division in the moral category you have laws such as those against murder Exodus 20 stealing in the civil category you have laws that require a case not be decided on a single single on the evidence of a single witness and the prohibition is not to execute someone guilty of a capital offense before he stood trial and the ceremonial you have the regulation concerning re religious feasts and sacrifices now it's universally agreed everybody accepts the fact that the ceremonial law has been set aside having been fulfilled in Christ so there's no debate about that no one generally I mean okay you might find some group in history that tried to do that but Christians generally there's no Christian group that says you got to keep the ceremonial law but among those who believe that Christians still have an obligation to keep some parts of the Mosaic law the debate centers around the moral and the civil aspects particularly the moral C in the 1980s there was a movement called theonomy Theos God Namas law God's law or Christian reconstruction it was called that was that argued that the moral and civil aspects of the law are binding on New Testament Christians so here's the, here's a group that said no okay the ceremonial has been set aside been fulfilled but the moral and the civil have to be applied to Christians today and modern society needs to be reconstructed on the basis of God's mosaic law now this movement was very popular in the 80s if you were around then <laughs> nobody wants to admit they were around the 80s but <laughs> you may have remembered some of that you didn't really you probably didn't know anything about this group but they were influential on they had some influence on Jerry Falwell's moral majority of the Christian right it's not that Jerry was a reconstructionist he wasn't you know anything like that but they had influence there their books their writings especially in promoting the Christian the homeschool movement the most prominent person in this group was a man named Rushus J Rush Dooney and Rush Dooney was very popular I can remember going to the bookstore 
when I was teaching in college, and they had a whole stack of Rush Dooney's books lined up there, The Messianic Character of American Education. And there was a book about, you know, the problems with the, with the school system, how they're really anti-Christian and so forth, and we need a school system that's Christian. And so he pushed the homeschool movement. The, the movement tried to get states and the federal government to enact some of the Old Testament civil law, including death penalty for adultery, homosexuality, blasphemy, and several others. Now this movement has pretty much faded away. There is one pastor, well-known pastor, named Douglas Wilson. I don't know if you ever heard of his name or not, but uh, he's a pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. And you know, he's, he, he would probably deny being a reconstructionist, but he has, in some ways, he might admit it. <laughs> he's, he's often accused of reconstructing Moscow, Idaho as, as kind of a Christian place, you know. You have to look him up. But anyway, he, he had, he's, he, he's, he's got some of these ideas. He, 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 he adopts some of these things, not fully. So it's still around slightly. D, the most common opinion among Christians advocating the continuing authority of the law argues that believers today are obligated to keep only the moral aspect of the Mosaic law expressed specifically in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments are viewed as a summary of the moral law. So you're supposed to keep the moral law, but really the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are said to express the essence of God's moral law. So the, that's the only part of the moral law you really need to keep, the Ten Commandments, because they express the essence of the law. You don't have to worry about those other commandments. This understanding of the continuing authority of the Mosaic law found in the Ten Commandments is held by the Roman Catholic Church, many Protestant churches, and many evangelical churches. The popularity of this view of the Mosaic Law, especially in our nation's history, this is a very popular view. We've got to keep the moral law, and that's the Ten Commandments. We've got to keep that. That probably explains why you can find the Ten Commandments engraved on many public buildings. You can see the Supreme Court there, Moses, uh, with the two tablets of stone right there at the Supreme Court. It probably explains why the, at least down south, when I grew up, the Ten Commandments was in every classroom. Did they have the Ten Commandments on the wall up north here? Up, did they do up north too? Yeah, okay. I thought y'all were more pagan up here. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't remember. But that's why we had the Ten Commandments everywhere because it was just universally churches said you gotta keep the Ten Commandments. So what I want to demonstrate is that it's impossible to really divide up the Mosaic Law so that Christians are required only to keep a part of it. If you could divide it up, you might be able to, but you can't divide it up. Notice E, by their very nature, the 613 commands we call the Mosaic Law are a unit and stand or fall together. The scheme of a threefold division of the Mosaic Law, moral, civil, and ceremony, ceremony is actually unknown in the Bible. So there's nothing in the Bible that says, hey, there's a moral law, there's a civil law, there's a, uh, there's a, a 
ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Um, there's nothing in early Jewish literature, rabbinic literature. So if you read the Jews, how did they look at the law? They didn't divide it up and say only parts of it. Here's a quote. The rabbi said, as the native-born Jew takes upon him to obey all the words of the law, so the proselyte, they're talking about, if you want to convert to Judaism, you will become a proselyte. The proselyte takes upon him all the words of the law. The authorities say if a proselyte takes upon himself to obey all the words of the law except one single commandment, he's not to be received. So if you want to convert to Judaism, you've got to say, I'm going to keep the entire 613. F. In a similar fashion, the New Testament speaks quite clearly to the unity of the Mosaic Law. One cannot just pick parts of it to be obeyed. Paul reminds the Galatians that they cannot choose only some commands from the law to obey. Why is Paul saying that? Because remember, Paul evangelized this Gentile area called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, on his first missionary journey. Antioch, Pisidia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, those cities. He, he, he evangelized those places. And after he left, false teachers came in. We call them Judaizers, who, who said, we're Christians too, but Paul didn't tell you the whole truth. You Christians have got to be circumcised and keep some parts of the law. And Paul writes a whole epistle saying, no, that's another gospel. That's, that's not the gospel. That's a, that's a false gospel. He says, he reminds them, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Paul says, okay, they're saying you've got to be circumcised, but if you, if you go down that route, Paul says, you've got to obey the whole law. There's no, there's no just picking out part of it. James also asserts the unity of the law for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So as I said before, G here, the moral parts of the law are not clearly distinguished from the rest, but are often entwined with the civil and ceremonial laws. For example, if you took time to look at Leviticus 19, the moral command to be holy starts out in Leviticus 19. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then you start following the verses. Here's how you be holy is explained in the verses that follow verse 1 as requiring the proper making of fellowship offerings and detailing how crops are to be harvested. I just picked out two things. So you look at Leviticus 19, Paul says, he, uh, God says, be holy. And here's how you're supposed to be holy. Here's, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to cultivate your crops in a certain way. Uh, you're supposed to make offerings in a certain way. So... Uh, you can't, you can't divide that up. Holiness, a moral idea, involves other things that are not, we wouldn't normally think harvesting crops is a moral thing. But it is. For even, even some of the Ten Commandments are historically and culturally bound. For example, the Fifth Commandment is tied to the land of Israel. If you say, okay, you've got to go back to Exodus 20, and you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, that commandment says, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. 
Thus, even the Ten Commandments do not represent pure moral law that can be removed from Israel's historical context. So that it'll be, you'll live long in the land your God has given you. But God hadn't given us any land. It's possible to divide up the law so as to continue the authority of some of it while ignoring the rest. So if, if we say, if we argue that we have to keep the moral part of the law, we can't limit that to just the Ten Commandments. There are moral things throughout those 613 commands. Clear moral elements to the, the 613 commands. In fact, pretty much every law you can think of is moral. Sometimes we hear the thing, you can't legislate morality. Well, sure you can. That's what laws are. They're legislating morality. There's a speed limit sign in here that says 25 miles an hour. That's a, that has a moral element. It's not just fought up out of thin air 25. It's designed so people don't go down there 120 miles an hour and hit a kid who's riding his bicycle out there in the street. There's a moral element. Safety is why that's 25 miles an hour. So even civil laws have a moral element. Um, for example, the law forbade the collecting of interest on loans. Exodus 22:25 says, "If you, if for example, uh, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal; charge no interest." So Israelites loaning money, you couldn't charge any interest. But, you know, Christians today who insist that we have to keep the moral aspect of the Mosaic law don't make that a requirement. Christian bankers <laughs> don't obey this command, you know. They charge people interest. Call your mortgage company and tell them. The Bible says no interest. I want my money back, you know. See how, far, see how that gets you, how... Huh? Oh, that does. So these other laws have a strong moral element. The Bible does not permit us to section out only a portion of the law as legally binding on believers today while ignoring the rest. I'm just saying the moral law really can't, the Mosaic law can't be really divided up into these aspects because the moral law flows throughout all the rest of the laws. More, the moral law is more than just the Ten Commandments. Roman numeral three, the New Testament believer is not under the Mosaic law. As Christians, we are under the authority of the new covenant, which was instituted by Christ. Remember Paul, when he is talking about what Christ did, when we do the Lord's Supper, we say, remember, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do, drink it. Those are the words Pastor Ken will say. This cup is the new covenant. We're under the new covenant, not the Mosaic covenant. The authority of the Mosaic covenant, and thus the Mosaic law, ended with the coming of Christ, his death on the cross, and the beginning of the church age. Paul plainly says as much in Romans 10.4. Romans 10.4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, if you're familiar with this verse in other translations, 
like the King James, ESV, New American Standard, many others, the verse more commonly is rendered, Christ is the end of the law, not the culmination of the law. Christ is the end of the law. The Greek word here, this translated culmination or end, has the idea that something has come to an end in a temporal sense in time. Something has come to an end in a temporal sense while at the same time the goal is reached. Christ is the goal to which the law points and when the goal is reached the law also comes to an end. We might think of the analogy of a race course, someone running a race, the Olympics. The finish line is the end or the termination of the race since the race is over when it's reached. The finish line is also the goal of the race since the race is run for the purpose of reaching the finish line. Thus the finish line is the culmination of the race. That's why the NIV uses the word culmination. They're trying to capture both ideas. It's the end of the race and it's the goal. And that's what the NIV is saying. It captures those two senses. If something is ended, in this case the Mosaic Law, it does not continue to have any legal authority over believers. Thus believers are not under the law, under the authority of the Mosaic Law. Now B, Paul says this explicitly in Romans 6.14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. If Christ is the end or culmination of the law, then it makes sense that the New Testament believers are not under the law. If something is ended, then it's no longer in effect. It has no validity or authority. The phrase under the law occurs 11 times in Paul. Paul is constantly saying that we New Testament believers are not under the law. Under the law means to be under the control of or under the obligation. One who is under the law is under the binding authority of the Mosaic law. And Christians today are not under the law, that is the Mosaic law. So the New Testament is absolutely clear here that the, with the coming of Christ, the law has come to an end as a legal authority over believers. And thus, Scripture frequently proclaims this fact that believers are not under the law. C, beyond the clear teaching that Christ is the end of the law and believers are not under the law, many other texts and arguments support the truth that the Mosaic law has been abolished for the believer. 1 Timothy 1.9, Paul says, the Mosaic law is not made for the righteous. The word made has the idea of be given or be valid, which means the law is not binding on Christians because we have been made righteous, justification, by Christ. The law is not made for us. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Paul declares that Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now what he's talking about is Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles can be together in the church because the law has been destroyed by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. The word destroyed means that something is abolished, not in the sense that it no longer exists, 
but that it is made powerless or invalidated. So the cross work of Christ has abrogated or abolished the law's authority. It's no longer an authority for God's people. Number three, in similar language to Ephesians, Paul says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, that Christ canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. This seems to be a clear reference again to the Mosaic law. Romans 7, 6, Paul says, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the way of the written code. Through the death of Christ, believers has been released from the Mosaic law so it's no longer a valid authority. Finally, Hebrews has a word on this. It introduces Jesus as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Remember in the Old Testament, the priests were Aaronic priests after the order of Aaron. The writer explains that there has been a change of priesthood from the Old Testament Aaronic order to the order of Melchizedek. The writer then concludes that, quote, when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. The law, the Mosaic economy, is thus in no longer effect. The old covenant is now invalid as Christians are under a new covenant with a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Finally, the Mosaic law and the New Testament believer. Now some people, like me, who believe that the binding authority of the Mosaic law has been abolished in its entirety for the believer are sometimes charged with being antinomian. Antinomian. We're charged with antinomianism. What's antinomianism? Remember, anti means against and namas law. So if you say the law has been set aside, we don't have to keep any of the laws, well, you're an antinomian. You don't believe that we have to obey God's commands. Some might say if we're not under the authority of the Ten Commandments, then believers can live as they please. Paul himself provides an answer to the accusation of antinomians and antinomianism in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 21. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So we discussed this phrase a little earlier under when we talked about under the law. Well, when we talked about under the law, I didn't include actually 1 Corinthians 9 20, where it's used four times. Now, in this context that we just read, Paul is explaining some of the social settings in which he practiced evangelism. Sometimes he was with Jews, and sometimes he was with Gentiles. Uh, Paul never changed the gospel message to suit his audience. But he did modify his behavior in order to reach different cultures with the gospel. 
So when he was with the Jews, he says, I became like one under the law. In other words, in Jewish law, you can't eat ham. So when Paul was with the Jews, he didn't eat ham sandwiches. But when he was with the Gentiles, he ate ham sandwiches. Because he's really not under the law. He didn't change his message. He just didn't want to offend Jews. So when he was with the Jews, he didn't do anything to offend them. He kept the law. He wasn't doing it to be saved. He was doing it so he could evangelize and not offend these people culturally. This is another statement by Paul that he, as a New Testament believer, was not under the authority of the Mosaic law. What could be clearer than the phrase, I myself am not under the law? Paul just voluntarily complied with certain regulations so he could be more effective in evangelism. B, the truth of the situation, Paul says, is that he was literally and actually not under the authority of the Mosaic law, but, what, but, that he, but that did not mean he was free from God's law, that is, God's moral law, since he was under Christ's law, he says in 1 Corinthians 9. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, God's moral law, but I'm under Christ's law. Because he was under Christ's law, Paul was not an antinomian. The moral law of God is eternal. It reflects God's character. And the moral law is reflected in the Mosaic law, though the Mosaic law itself is much broader, including civil and ceremonial laws binding on the nation of Israel. The Mosaic law is an indivisible unit that reaches its culmination in Christ and has been set aside. The Mosaic law as a code or contractual obligation is not directly applicable to New Testament believers. The Mosaic law is no longer a direct or immediate source of or judge of the conduct of God's people. God's eternal moral law is now incorporated into Christ's law, what Paul calls Christ's law, which also includes the commands given to us in the New Testament. The commands given to the New Testament church. And you can see that chart there that you've got God's eternal moral law. It becomes incorporated into the Mosaic law, but it's also still with us. I say we might think of analogy of a labor contract. Many years ago, I worked in a shipyard in Newport News, Virginia. And we had a local union that negotiated a new contract for us about every few years. And every contract, we would get a little green book. I can still remember it. And in that little green book was all the benefits, requirements, you know, for us as union members. Now, most of the time, the contract remained exactly the same from year to year. Every few years, they would come out with a new one, and you have maybe new wages, some new benefits, and so forth in there. But basically, the little green book was pretty much the same from year to year. 
even though the little green book for the previous contract might say exactly the same thing as the new one, nevertheless the old one was invalid. You couldn't appeal to the old one. It was the old law. It had been abrogated, set aside and replaced by the new law, the new little green book for the present contract. That's like the Mosaic law. It contains many things that we still find in the New Testament, but as a whole, it's been abrogated. We also might think of the example of a person who immigrates from another country. Once they become an American citizen, the laws of their former country have no validity, even though many of those laws are the same as American law. So someone who comes from Brazil They've got a law against murder. They come to the United States, they commit murder. The laws of Brazil don't have no authority over them. It's the law of the United States. It might be the same law, but the law of Brazil is abrogated. Moral truths or precepts, D here, that flow from the character of God do not change and cannot change. This eternal moral law has always been and always will be binding on human creatures no matter what period of human history they live in. For example, murder was wrong in the Garden of Eden long before the Mosaic Law. It was wrong during the period of the law. It's wrong in the New Testament age. It'll be wrong in the kingdom. For Israel, the moral law became part of a larger legal system, the Mosaic legal system, the Mosaic Law, which included civil and ceremonial demands along with precise penalties that were culturally specific to a particular people living in a particular location at a particular time. So when Paul says Christ is the culmination of the law and the believer is not under the law, he's not saying that Christ has ended all law in the sense that there are no commands that have to be obeyed. As we have seen, it is the Mosaic law that has no direct authority over Christians. Now the believer remains bound to God's moral law as it's now mediated through Christ and found in the New Testament. <clears throat> F, the focus of believers in the church age is the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 21. Those not having a law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. <clears throat> as I said, the law of Christ is explicitly located in the New Testament documents. So when the New Testament says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That is the law of Christ, and we must obey. <clears throat> Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. This is the law of Christ. Um, I say here, G. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. But the legal reason we must not murder, the Sixth Commandment, and we must not steal the Eighth Commandment, is because the 
New Testament is binding on us as our law code, not because of the Ten Commandments. Murdering and stealing are against God's eternal moral law. The Ten Commandments is not our contract under the New Covenant. The one commandment of the Ten that is not repeated in the New, covenant, New Testament is the Sabbath command. The Sabbath was given to Israel as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, and we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. Paul particularly rules out any observance of the Sabbath command in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, <clears throat> or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality hour is found in Christ. Though the Mosaic Law is no longer legally binding on Christians, it's binding on Christians in the sense that it's still part of God's inspired revelation that's designed to teach us about God and his character. The Mosaic Law, like all of Scripture, is profitable for Christians, so it must be continued to be read, pondered, and responded to by faithful believers. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Old Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything in the Old Testament is written for us, but not everything is written to us directly as New Testament covenant believers. The believer remains bound to the God's moral law as is now mediated in and through Christ, the New Testament Scriptures. Most moral aspects of the Mosaic Law are stated in the New Testament. For instance, the law <clears throat> about stoning a rebellious son uh, does not obey his, uh, who does not obey his father and mother is repeated in the New Testament command, children, obey your parents without the judicial punishment that was part of God's civil law. The fifth command says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. It is impossible for us to enjoy the promise of this command today since none of us are living in the land given to us by the Lord. <clears throat> Paul, writing under inspiration, repeats the essence of the command in the New Testament when he tells children to obey your parents and the Lord. Paul supports this command in the next verse with an appeal to the essence of the fifth command, honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul omits any reference to the land and universalizes the promise so that you may live long on the earth. Even if not directly restated in the New Testament, <clears throat> important moral truth is to be found in the Mosaic Law and thus it's necessary for us to read and apply its principles today. For instance, the Mosaic Law requiring that houses be built with barriers around the edges of their roofs has no legal authority over the New Testament believer. This law was part of the civil law designed for Israelites living in another culture at another time when people commonly used their roofs to as a living space. But this law still reveals to us the moral principle that God was and is always will be concerned about the issues of liability and safety. Thus we should not neglect to make our homes safe as reasonably possible. All right, thank you very much. You're dismissed.